Let's open up to Luke chapter 17. As uh, today we're going to go over five important principles for every Christian. I was uh, telling my kids on the way over here, it's kind of like a spiritual high five. You know, give me a high five, you know. And these are things that each one of them stand alone. And I believe that if you take each one of these and you cultivate these in your life, that you will be a strong Christian. All of them are so important. We begin, first of all, here in Luke 17. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck And he were thrown into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. The first thing we see here is a warning regarding the children of God. The children of God. And I know you guys know this, but we need to reiterate the fact that Jesus loves the little children. Huh. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Wouldn't you agree? And so the Lord here reveals the fact that offenses must come. Stumbling blocks, literally in the Greek language, they will abound because we live in a fallen world with a lot of blockheads. But Jesus says this, woe to him through whom those offenses come. The word woe is a warning from the lips of the Lord Jesus to anyone, anywhere who would hurt or harm or harass the children, any child, to the degree that it slays their simple faith in God. And the Lord here gives a heavy warning. You know, and I know when we look at this and we think of the kids and we know the world that we live in, so many of them are being you know, molested, you know, right off the bat, we think of those who are perverts in this world that we live in, you know, and they do damage to the kids in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. But, you know, I got to say this, that's a given, but it's not just perverts. If I can say this, sometimes it's parents. It's parents that offend the little children. And that's why, you know, when I read this, I take it to, to heart for myself. As a parent, you know, we need to heed the word of warning because Jesus said here that the sentence will be severe for those who cause the kids to fall in their faith. You know, so this is a heavy warning for us regarding the children of God. You know, I encourage you to cherish the children. I encourage you to know that if you've been blessed with children, to take up that responsibility seriously, to be an example to them, to teach them God's word from a young age to protect them, direct them, respect them. Because they are Jesus' children. He loves the children. You know, by nature, if you think about it, they believe the simple things of God. We don't want to get in the way of any of that. You know, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect parents because none of us are. But I want to encourage you to cherish the children. It's a heavy responsibility. You don't want blood on your hands. You don't want to be responsible for the one who rejected and neglected your kids. And you are the cause for them to fail in their faith. 
The Lord says, take heed to yourselves. And I read a story about a pastor who was walking through the park one day. He was on his way to church service. And a little boy caught up to him and struck up a conversation. He said, hey, mister. And then he proceeded to ask him 101 questions. And so finally in the end, he asked him, hey, mister, where are you going? And the pastor said, well, I'm on my way to preach. The little boy said, what does it mean to preach? And the pastor said, well, it means to tell others about Jesus. And when the little boy heard that word, the name of Jesus, he covered his mouth and he looked around. And then he whispered, mister, don't you know? And the pastor said, what do you mean, don't you know? And the little boy said, mister, don't you know what that word is? It's a cuss word. And the pastor, suddenly, his eyes were opened and it dawned on him that the only time his kids ever heard the word, this boy ever heard the name of Jesus, was as a profanity. And our job as parents and our job as uncles and grandparents and whatever it is, the relationship that you have with the kids, is to do your best to speak the name of Jesus and to live that name in their presence. I encourage you today, pray for the children, protect the children, and think twice before you ever offend a child in any way, causing them to spiritually stumble. Jesus shares this word of warning. I was even thinking about this. The Greek word, it means a stumbling block. It basically means you cause them to fall, you trip them up. And the Lord just said to me, Manny, you know what I want you to do instead? Hold their hand so that they don't fall. And so a high five today. First thing is this, the children of God. The second thing is this, and that is forgiving like God. Because look what it says in verse 3. It says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him first of all the children of God second of all forgiving like God and Jesus here he sets the the scene it's a person who has sinned against you it's a brother who sinned against you does that ever happen to you yeah I think it happens a lot right and the Lord says this that you should not ignore him nor should you ignore the sin The Lord says, it's real simple, rebuke him, go to him, talk to him about it, try to work it out with words. And if he repents, Jesus says, forgive him. See, these are important things for us as Christians. These are important things for us as human beings, man, to cherish the children. And to do our best when we go through all these things, because we're fallen creatures, we all fail each other, to find a way, man, to forgive and forget and restore relationships. The Lord says this is the way we're supposed to live. It's the indoctrination of restoration. Because a lot of times someone does someone wrong, And we don't bother to make things right. That's why there's a really cool scripture in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 7. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You know, don't just 
hate him. Don't just, you know what, who cares? I'm not going to make things right with him. That's hating him. Don't nurse a grudge and give up on the relationship. That's not the way of a Christian. No, the Lord says, work it out. Talk it out. Do the best that you can. Exhaust your resources. Lift up clean hands to try to restore those relationships. Now, one person rightly said, the heaviest load any man carries on his back is a pack of grudges. And that backpack of grudges will crush you. And it will crush the heart of God who says, this is not how I want Christians to live their life. They're to cherish the children. And they are to forgive and forget the best that they can. And it doesn't mean that always things work out with everyone, because that's not the case. Romans 12:18 says if it's possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men. And so it's not always possible if they don't want to make things right then it can't be right. But we you have to do your best to live peaceably with all men. Matthew 5:9 says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. You see think about it. We sinned against God. We severely sinned against God. And he could have just left it. He doesn't need us. But he is God. He pursued us. And he restored the relationship. We need to do the same with others. Then we're called sons of God. And so someone here today says, yeah, I'm going to talk to them after service. They didn't say hi to me on the way in, right? <laughs> but be careful because the Lord says, if they sin against you. That's not a sin. Maybe they just didn't see you. You've got to be really careful with stuff like that. You know, it means that someone has clearly violated God's clear commands. And if they've sinned against you, Jesus says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to talk to them. You know, when you talk to them, and let's just say you begin to work things out. Before you know it, you've done a few things wrong. They've done a few things wrong. You begin to work things out. Then the Lord says right here, if they repent, then I want you to forgive them. And as a matter of fact, that seems to be the emphasis of this teaching right here. So much so that Jesus says, and this is really tough. Think about this from a real practical perspective, that if they do seven times the same day, the same sin, then you are, we are to forgive them. That's heavy, huh? When you really think about that. Now, most Christians would say that's not repentance, Manny. <laughs> you know, most Christians would say, you can't repent seven times in the same day over the same thing. But Jesus seems to say you can. I'll believe Jesus over you. You see, that's life. I think that when we think about this, we better forgive. Because if you don't forgive, then God won't forgive you. It's important to forgive. It's important to forgive and forget. And stop getting historical, you know, on each other. Well, you did this last week, you know, and last month and last year. And you always bring it up. You are not forgiving them. Seven times in one day. When does that happen? It usually happens with our spouse, right? We can do that with our spouse. Amen? It can happen with our kids, right? And it happens with us and God. And we see this as a reality. God does it for us seven times, sometimes seven times 70. 
and we should therefore have this heart towards each other. It's so important. Forgiveness. I'm talking about true Christian, beautiful, bona fide forgiveness. One person said it's the most important thing you can ever do, and it's the most important thing we all need. We need true forgiveness. That forgiveness can work a work in their life that nothing else will. Mark Twain said, Forgiveness is the fragrance that the flower leaves on the heel of the one who crushed it. When you really forgive them, do you know what it does to their heart? Oh, it doesn't change the past. You can't change the past. But real forgiveness will change the future when you really give it to God. One person said this, as we practice the work of forgiveness, we discover more and more that forgiveness and healing are one. And that's why we need that. You guys, we got to bury the hatchet and the handle to the hatchet. And while you're at it, bury the shovel so you stop digging up those things that you're supposed to lay down. This is how Christians are. They cherish the children and they forgive and forget. Remember, when God pardons, he consigns the offense to everlasting forgetfulness. I'm here to tell you today that if you have a heart that brings things up, it could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be your kids, it could be your brother, your sister, then I'm here to tell you today that that is not the type of forgiveness that God has given to you. God takes your sins and he casts them into the deepest part of the sea, right? He'll bring them up no more. He puts them behind his back. And that's the way we need to be with each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And so it's a high five. One, you know, children of God. Two, forgiving like God. Three, believing in God. Because look what it says here in verse five. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, when I read this right here, I, I almost believe, not entirely, but I almost believe the Lord to be saying, you already have what it takes. You already have what it takes, at least you should. Because you want to know something? This is very important. Listen, all it takes is a mustard seed of faith. That's all it takes. You know, we have trees in my backyard that my friends cut down and the stumps are still there. And I'm thinking, man, one of these days we're going to dig those trees out. But imagine how hard that would be, you know, to really, truly dig these trees out. Mulberry trees, they have a vast root system. The Lord says this, man, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to those trees, that tree, get up and go and be planted in the sea and it would be done for you. 
The apostles asked for the Lord to increase their faith, but the Lord basically says, man, all it takes is a mustard seed of faith. You don't even need an avocado seed, man. Just a little mustard seed of faith, and God will move mountains. God will transplant total trees, roots and all. In other words, he will do the impossible if we simply have a mustard seed of faith. Don't get me wrong. I realize Jesus spoke of not doubting. I know the Lord spoke of not having little faith, having great faith. But here it is. The mustard seed of faith is not necessarily like a a quantity of faith as much as it is a quality of faith, a solid faith, a simple faith. I simply believe in the Lord, in the word of the Lord. He can do anything and he will Show me his will, and he will carry me through every day of my life. It's a simple faith, a solid faith. You see, when that mustard seed is sown in the soil of simple, solid surrender, all that's necessary for it to grow is present, and God will do the rest. All I'm trying to say, and I don't know if you guys can hear me on this, is that whatever the mountains are in your life, whatever those trees are that need to be transplanted, whatever the situation is, don't, you know, overwhelm yourself by thinking you got to do this great, be this great thing. No, it's just a mustard seed of faith that is placed in God. And He will take care of everything. I mean, if it's a mustard seed of faith that takes your soul to heaven... How much more will that same mustard seed of faith bring heaven to your soul? God help us to simply believe and simply receive. With the faith like a child, all the promises of his word congregationally and all the promises of his word personally. You see, that's what Christians are. That's how Christians are. These are things that are very important to us, the children of God. Forgiving like God. Believing in God. And then fourthly, our service to God. Because it says in verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? Or will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Children of God, forgiving like God, believing in God, and service to God. These are huge issues in our life, wouldn't you say? Here we see the logic of the Lord in our service to the Lord. And Jesus speaks a word they would all understand. You know, you got a guy, he's been out there all day in the field, and everyone knows his duty is not done. They just know it. It's just the way it is. He still has to put supper on the table. It's his realm of responsibility, and it's not time to retire. You know, the boss isn't going to tell him relax until his responsibility is fulfilled. And, you know, the boss doesn't necessarily thank him for just doing his duty. There's a certain expectation in this lifelong vocation, you know. And you're thinking about it, and your gardener comes, and he, and he mows your grass. And you're like, wow, thank you. 
you know, for, for mowing my grass. Wow, you know, and it's kind of like the Lord's saying, that's not how you, you do it. That's not how we operate, right? I mean, we each have a mission from God, and we need to make our life a mission, not an intermission. The Lord says here in verse 10, the same is true for us, that there's an element of relatability. You know, I think in some ways, you guys, if I can just say this, the church has lost her sense of duty to God. They've lost their sense of duty to God. And therefore, many have neglected their service to God. And yet the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that this is our reasonable service. See, we need to understand that if you're part of the body, you know that we need each other. I mean, imagine what it would be like. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body. Are you a Christian here today? Okay, you need to know you are part of the body. Now imagine what would happen if the different parts of your body decided that they were no longer going to participate. Imagine what it would be like. You woke up one day and your leg said, you know what, I'm taking the day off, man. (laughs) How far would you go? Imagine you wake up one day, your hands say, you know what, not this week. What would you do? Imagine one day you wake up and your heart says, you know what, I quit. How long would you live? Well, the same is true for all the different members of the body. We have a duty to serve God and to serve each other faithfully. We have a divine duty as disciples. And I think we need to remember a few things. Number one, we need to remember who we're serving. Okay? For a lot of people, they think that service in this capacity is service of themselves. They're self-serving. And God says, no. You don't come in and kick back and have supper. We've got a duty to do. You serve God. Who are you serving? Number two, why are you serving? We're not serving for a pat on the back. God will reward us one day, but that's not why we're serving. We serve Because he called us to serve. Who we're serving, why we're serving, and who we really are as servants. You know, in and of ourselves, we're unprofitable. In and of ourselves, we're unworthy. In and of ourselves, we are undeserving of special praise. And we know that. And that's all the Lord is trying to communicate here. You know, we need to understand that we have a duty. And all of us here have a duty. You know, a lot of us here, I think, you know, it's kind of like the football game. You know, we'll watch the game today, and it's cool. We might even tell the coach what to do or the quarterback or the running back or whatever it is. Most people are spectators watching others do the work. Maybe some of you here today need to get more involved because why? You have a duty as a disciple to do so. All I'm saying is this. You get with the Lord, and you ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe it's signing up for ministry. Maybe it's an usher. Maybe it's in the prayer ministry. Maybe, you know, it's some other sphere out there. But if you are doing nothing but being a pew potato, then you will be sorry. And we tell the servant, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist, thank you so much for what you do. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for Necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
And I remember in my life, and I'll just share this with you guys, I used to think there was a time where I thought that devotion was a much better motivator than duty. But I have learned that a lot of times devotion is based on emotion. And the Lord just really taught me. He said, I, I want you to see this clearly, Manny. The duty, the necessity that's laid upon you, it's not an emotion. It's not on feelings. You just got to focus on the fact that God has given you a duty in life. It's time for the mission, not the intermission. And I learned the logic of the Lord, that when it comes to my service to God, these are things that I need to do. Remember when Paul the Apostle got saved? You guys remember that? You were there, right? Acts chapter 9. <laughs> now, you guys remember, what did Paul say? The first thing he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Maybe you should ask the Lord that, that question because I have a feeling, and I don't want to offend anybody, but some of you are lazy. And the Lord is saying, you got to work, Michal. you got to work. We have a duty not to man. We have a duty to God. When we read our text. We touched on the children of God, forgiving like God, believing in God, service to God, and all these things are important. And the last thing today is we need to be grateful to God. Because look what it says in verse 11. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lift up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the, uh, not the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Leprosy. We've read a few times about this in the Bible, huh? Leprosy in these days was humanly incurable, and it was considered to be absolutely despicable. And back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus healed one leper by touching him. But here we have ten lepers who stood afar off, and they just lifted up their voice, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when the Lord heard their cry, he simply said, Go, show yourselves to the priests, because that's what the law commanded a cleansed leper to do. And as they went, think about this. Imagine this for a second. As they're going their way, they're heading to the temple, they are then cleansed. Imagine that. I mean, consider for a moment the power of the Lord, able to heal ten lepers just like that. Simple words from his lips. And so as they're on their way, you know, one of them, he makes a U-turn. And, and I'm sure, and you've got you to gotta think this through, because these are ten guys that are hanging out, right? You've got to think this one through. When he does the U-turn, what are the other nine saying? I'm sure that they said, 
dude, where are you going? And I'm sure that the cleansed leper, the one that made the U-turn, said, I'm going back to thank the one that showed me mercy, the one that cleansed me. Now, wouldn't you think that the other nine would say, that's a great idea? But they didn't, huh? They didn't. They just went their way. He went his way to the Lord. And the one leper, he finds the Lord. And what do we read? He falls down on his face at Jesus' feet, and he gives him thanks. Now, when the Lord sees this whole thing, he comments and he questions. He says, wait a minute. Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? The only one who came to thank him was a Samaritan. Jesus points that out. They were despised by the Jews. Jesus probably emphasizes this so that we could never, we should never look down on anyone of a different race. But what the Lord says is, hey, you, you did the right thing. Notice again what he says right there. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, when you think about that, you're like, well, wait a minute. You know, he was already, you know, physically cleansed, and they all experienced that cleansing. What's the Lord talking about here? That, you know, he seems to take them a little farther. And what we find and what most theologians believe is that this leper, in coming back with an attitude of gratitude, went farther than the rest. You want to know what the rest received, the nine received? They received mercy. They cried out mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. They got a physical healing. But this leper who went back with a heart and an attitude of gratitude received grace. And what he received was not just a physical cleansing, not just a physical healing, but he received a spiritual cleansing and a spiritual healing. And you see... By faith, as we thank the Lord, as we simply open our eyes and come back and make a U-turn and say, Lord, thank you, watch what happens. It will take you farther than the rest. What was the difference? Well, the difference was gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving. You know, and if I could just say this for a second, and I, I want to hit a few of you right between the eyes, okay? Some of you here. Some of you here are chronic complainers. Chronic complainers. Okay? And I don't mean to be mean or anything, okay? But stop it. <laughs> you need to stop it. When all the words that come out of your mouth are always complaints, that is not a sign of a healthy Christian. You need to go against the grain. And I know some of us are just wired that way, right? Some of you here, you're just no drama. Some of you here are just like, it's cool, man. <laughs> the Lord is good. And it just kind of happens naturally. But a lot of you here are like, it's kind of like you're wired that way. And it's almost like you think that no one's going to want to have a conversation with you until you tell them all the things that are going wrong in your life. And I'm just telling you this right now, just from a social perspective and even a Christian perspective, that that's really not the conduct of a person who was like Jesus Christ. Watch what you say. Listen to your words. This attitude of gratitude for the mercy that God's given to us is so important because that attitude of gratitude will springboard you further in life. 
to accomplish things and to be things that otherwise you wouldn't be. There's an African proverb that says, even the hand lifts her head to heaven when swallowing her grain, you know? I mean, how different life would be if we were more grateful for the mercies we've been given. A Jewish proverb said, if men thanked God for good things, they wouldn't have time to complain about the bad things. <laughs> and it's true, huh? What a difference a grateful heart makes. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So no matter where you're at today, I just encourage you, say it by faith. Can you say this? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You alone know what's best for me and my family by faith. Lord, I know disappointments are your appointments. The devotional book. How many of you heard of that book, Springs in the Valley? It's a devotional book, a, a daily devotional book. Anyways, it tells of a man who found a barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown in the human heart. And he found that the seeds of discouragement were more numerous than the others. And he learned that those seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. But when Satan was questioned, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could never get those seeds of discouragement to thrive. And where is that place, asked the man, to which Satan replied, in the heart of a grateful person. And it's true. You know, this morning I was just thinking about this. Lord, thank you for my beanie, you know, keeping my head warm. Lord, thank you for my jacket. Thank you for my coffee. Thank you for this place I'm in my, the garage, you know, being able to spend time with you. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my forgiveness. Now, some people hate their jobs, but you need to really be thankful for your jobs, right? Some of you here, man, you're not too healthy physically, but you can be spiritually. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. Some of you here, maybe your kids aren't doing real good, but thank God you have kids, and thank God there's still hope. Some of you here, you're not married. You don't have any kids. You feel all alone, but thank God that's not true. You're not alone. You're never, ever alone. You see, when we open our eyes a little more, we will find that we have so much to be thankful for. And that attitude of gratitude will take you farther. You'll get mercy, yes, but then you'll get grace. And by faith, that attitude of gratitude will make you well. You see, these are things that Christians, important lessons that we need to know. Children of God, forgiving like God, believing in God, service to God, and grateful to God. May all these things abound in our hearts. And God, may he give us wisdom as his people. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, maybe you're not a Christian. I hope that we all are. But if you're not, you need to know that the Lord loves you. And this grace and mercy that the leper received, you know, is something that we as Christians, we've all received, man, because we all had leprosy. We all were in a place where there was no hope. But one day, somewhere along the road, man, we as Christians, we made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and to crown him, make him Lord and Savior of our life. And if you're here today and you're struggling, you're hurting, you're dying inside, today I encourage you, I encourage you with all my heart, 
to give your life to Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for allowing us another day. This high five, so to speak, Lord, these things, so many of them are so huge in our life. Father, I pray that you would minister to every heart here, Lord, and you would help us to know how to cherish the children, Lord, how to forgive and forget, how to be better believers, simple servants, grateful to God, knowing, Lord, that this is your will for our life. I pray you bless your beautiful people, their families, all the things going on physically, emotionally, spiritually, Lord. We pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray especially for any here today who are hurting and struggling, whatever it is, however the battle is raging, Lord. We pray today, Lord, that you would strengthen us and that, Lord, you would save anyone who doesn't know you today. Thank you, Father, so much for this time. We pray together in Jesus' name.